You're listening to Smashing 50, the health, fitness and personal development podcast for middle-aged men. Hi, this is Mike from Smashing 50 with another podcast and today I'm with Chris O'Brien. Now, Chris is down in Bournemouth in the UK, 49 years old, and he's the founder of a company called RunTeach. Now, I got in touch with uh, Chris because we're both uh, members of an online community about business and uh, business growth, starting new businesses. And uh, Chris has a really interesting story, a story of transformation where he was found himself overweight um, around 38 years old and his soon-to-be-born twin daughters really inspired him to make some quite dramatic changes to his to his life. Nice to have you on the show, Chris. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah. So do you want to just tell us a little bit more about this, uh, you know, your story about this journey, about where and when did you start getting fit? Why was it? And, and why, why did you get into running? Yeah, well, I mean, the running thing itself is uh, is a bit of a weird one because I really hated running when I was at school. I, I was really rubbish at it. So when I found myself at 38 years old expecting twins, um, overweight, unfit, and really not very healthy person, I had to find something that I enjoyed that was going to uh, allow me to grow up with my kids. And that was my main motivation, was that the thought of being an older dad and not being able to enjoy running around with my kids and really being fit and healthy as I got older for them to see through their uh, most important years really kind of scared me. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that I was driving past uh, uh, the, the hospital where my wife was and I saw a poster for a 10K run. And I thought, oh, there you go. Let, let's give that a go and let's see if I can I can do that. Now, there, but there was a few problems. Obviously, I hated running. I was <laughs> unfit. And the 10K race was less than eight weeks away from where I was. And I couldn't literally run from one lamppost to another. So I had a bit of a challenge on my, on my hands with that one. Right. And so how did, how did you get through that then? How, what happened? You know, did you manage to get some, what kind of training were you putting in and how did you do in the race? Well, in terms of the training, um, I'm very fortunate where I live that I've got lots of countryside around me. And the race was actually as a, 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 a multi-terrain 10K race across Salisbury Plain, mm-hmm. and military base there. And there was a, one huge hill. So I knew I had that to contend with at least. And so I used my local uh, area to do the training. And initially, my my goal was to get out and run 5K. So I had to run, walk 5K. And that took me sort of a week or or, or up to two weeks to get to running, mainly running 5K uh, slowly. And then my next goal was to get to to 5K in under 30 minutes. And Mm. once I could achieve that, I then wanted to get up to nearer the 10K, so at least I could complete the race. And my only goal for the race at that point was to finish it. I had no other goals. It was raising money for the hospital, so it was a, so it was a good cause. Uh, as it turned out, uh, when I got closer, maybe five, six weeks in, I actually discovered I could run 10K, and it wasn't too bad. So my goal went from being to finish it to being somewhere around about halfway. Uh, which, which was great, and 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 um, and I loved the race. It was chucking it down. It was horrible weather. I made some faux pas. I put my race number on my back, which uh, you just never do. So I looked like the, the the complete newbie there. And I think my time was fifty six minutes, so it wasn't too bad for That's a, first, a brilliant first time. Yeah, from you know, sort of zero to eight weeks. 
my my own first 10k which i did in 2000 and uh, i think 17 um was 56 minutes and uh, i i made a classic mistake as well complete newbie i was go- i was like right i'm going to do it in 50 minutes and so i was like okay i need to do the first 5k in 25 and then i do the second 5k in 25 i did the first 5k in just over 25 completely exhausted myself and then with about 500 meters of the race to go i actually walked the last kind of part and hobbled over the line it was a complete disaster but uh so had you know it kind of hooks you in though doesn't it when when you do a competition like that and the adrenaline from from the environment and all the other people running and people cheering you on so obviously you you got hooked from then and uh, tell us how you then went from you know being this newbie to uh the endurance running that you ended up doing and tell us about your mindset and you know the belief that you went through to get there yeah that's absolutely right so that, that was back in 2009 and as you say that was that was me getting the running bug um and i focused on mainly 10ks at that time 10ks and half marathons my older brother was a good runner so i kind of took inspiration from him mm-hmm. and um i spent the next couple of years really doing that i didn't have uh, i didn't join a running club I, there weren't really any running groups in my local area so i did more of my own training and i took it upon myself because this is what i thought all new runners did was learning how to run properly mm-hmm. so i you know got some books uh, i looked on the internet i kind of did lots of practicing so every single run i went out with had a purpose to do my running form and i was part of an online community a website that used to be called uh, the running bug which sadly no longer exists but we formed a great community in there uh and we kind of all grew together however because i looked at running in a slightly different way i didn't just go out and run i always had a purpose to get better i found myself improving uh quite well and when i had the confidence to go for a marathon that was back in 2012 um and i think that's different from these days because these days i think a lot of new runners will go and try and do a marathon within their first year of running. And I think that's, that's quite a hard thing to do, whereas I waited, it was really three years. I did all the training, that was for the Brighton Marathon down on the south coast. Uh, unfortunately, due to a clash with a family event, I never actually made it, did all the training for it, and then right. couldn't do the race, so I had to defer it to the following year. But in the tw- 2013, I actually ended up running three marathons mm. in that, that year. So I did Brighton in April, I did Bournemouth, in the October and then did Brighton again the following April and mm-hmm. um, that was quite tough going but I improved my time in each of those so I think my first marathon was 325 in Brighton then it's 324 for Bournemouth and then it was 315.53 for Brighton missing the cutoff for London by 54 seconds and uh, as I came across the line I was in tears I couldn't believe I just missed it and uh, I remember someone coming up to me and asking me, why are you crying? You did so well. But I was devastated, absolutely devastated. But what it did do is it then gave me, if you like, my second big round of motivation to really go uh, for a better time in the marathon because I realized actually I was quite good at this type of endurance running, far mm-hmm. better than I was at shorter distances like 5K or, or, or 10K. Mm-hmm. And so I started on, on a journey then to get a sub three marathon as i discovered after having uh, entered the london ballot a number of times just wasn't going to get in 
uh, based on the ballot. And it was a time when they stopped doing, they used to do a, a thing where you go, you apply three times and or four times and then you get an automatic entry and that all stopped. So you had to get in either in a charity place or you had to get in on a good for age place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had, I had uh, a bit between my teeth after missing it for uh, 54 seconds. So I then went on a mission, first of all, to qualify for London. Uh, and uh, during that time, then I qualified for London uh, a year later, two years later. I took two years off marathon running to focus on on getting better. I then qualified for London. Um, and during that that time, I then did a 3.12. And I thought, oh, maybe I could get under this sub three. And then started on a mission for a sub three. And then the next couple of marathons, I was a, a 3.03. Uh, it was a three hours and... 29 seconds another frustrating one a little bit of a yeah. I mean, miscalculation on my part there and then finally uh in 2017 i did the abingdon marathon again that's another one down here on the south coast uh that's one without m- many crowds it goes through an industrial estate that was it was a hard marathon and it was the year that uh, storm brian came along so i was running into 20 mile an hour winds um and it was it was really tough and i just remember around about mile 20 i started to um not feel great um, the next thing i woke up at mile 25 i don't remember anything between mile 20 and mile 25 uh, i clearly kept on moving and actually my pace didn't really drop so i was on complete autopilot but i have absolutely no memory of those four miles at all I just remember coming out of some real deep dark blackness looking at my watch and thinking oh my goodness i've only got you know a certain amount of time if i'm going to get that sub three i've really got to push hard here and so i pushed and pushed in that that uh, last mile and a half uh, and it finishes on a track and i just remember when we hit that track i just gave it everything i got um and fortunately i got uh, 259.04 so i was absolutely delighted with that amazing so that's within 10 years you'd gone from a one hour 10k to sub three hour marathon yeah absolutely and, and there's nothing special about me and that's that's uh i truly believe anyone can do that that is that is amazing and i, lo- I love that you mentioned all, all of the kind of words that that, I, that i've been kind of focused on recently about purpose and mission and confidence and I think all of those things are are really fundamental if you know if, to your mindset and so um you've obviously got this kind of mindset positive mindset you were able to to you know get yourself to to have that belief that you could do more and then you went on to do even more endurance races right I did indeed Mike and and you're right about being able to push myself and I think that comes with with actually doing that I think the confidence from being able to push yourself comes from the confidence of pushing yourself. If you hold back, then you don't really know what's on the other side. Yeah, and there's so, a lo- there's a lovely um, sorry to cut you off there. There's a there's a lovely kind of graphic that, that I like to use, which is about um, uh, progress and belief. So when you make a little bit of progress, you increase that bit of belief. That, that extra bit of belief makes you make the next little bit of progress. And that just goes on and on and on uh, in a cycle, I think, until you, you actually realize your potential. Yeah, I, and you're absolutely right. And, and, and I'm, I've always been an experiment of one 
in, in, in everything that I do to see how far I can push things or how I can make things more efficient. And that was the same, as you say, go on to more endurance stuff. We have a, a race down here called uh, Endure 24, and it's a 24-hour endurance race based out uh, down in Reading, and it's a five-mile multi-terrain route. Most of it is either grass or forest trail, farm track, that, that type of thing. And the idea is you start at 12 o'clock on the Saturday and you finish at 12 o'clock on the Sunday. And you can either do it solo, in pairs, teams of threes, teams of five, teams of six, etc. And it's all about who can get the most amount of laps. And the only rule is everyone in your team has to run at least one lap. So lots of teams go out and be super competitive. Um, I did it in first in 2015 with a team of five. And this is from our online community, which we eventually broke away from the face. Uh, Facebook, uh, sorry, the running bug, and we set up our own Facebook group called Facebook, right. and with some of those people that, that that came with us. So we we did Endure Twenty Four as, as teams of uh, Facebook and Bug Face. So my team was Bug Face. So it was all a bit of a laugh. It wasn't particularly anything serious. We just did it to let's experience doing this because you camp as well. So and we we did uh over the 24 hours we had a team of five and we just did one lap it one lap one lap one lap one lap we just did it in sequence like that um throughout the 20 actually we did pretty well we we were uh in the top 10 i believe in that first that first year we did it for, for most of that that uh, event i think i ended up doing 30 miles in that uh 24 hours as, as part of that team of five and we just had such a laugh doing it uh, it then became something we did. So the following year, uh, we put even more teams in. So I think we had three or four teams, all completely mixed abilities. These are some people who, you know, just over an hour for a 10K. Uh, so maybe taking them for that that five-mile loop, it's maybe taking them, you know, anywhere between, you know, 55 minutes to an hour and 10 minutes, particularly in the overnight sections. And the overnight section is completely black. It's, it's dark. Yes, there are other people on the course, but you have your head torch and that's it. Um, it's all a bit mad because at the three or four o'clock in the morning, they bring out people dressed up as fairies. That really <laughs> does, <laughs> does your head. You don't know where you are. Or what's going You're on like hallucinating. <laughs> yes. A really strange experience. Um, so we did it as a team of four in 2016. Very similar uh, type of mileage, 30, 30 miles or so. Uh, and same 2017. And then uh, as we finished the 2017 event, uh, one of one of the, the team members said to me, do you want to do next year as a pair? And I thought, oh, gosh, no, I couldn't do that. That's way too much. Two of you running it, it that, that's, you know, that's a real challenge. And she said, oh, come on, let's, let, let's do it. So I said, OK, Emma, let, let's, let's go out and do it as a pair in 2018. Not really knowing what to expect, didn't know how to train for it. So how do you train for that type of endurance event? How do you sleep? Uh, well, <laughs> and how do you sleep? Well, and that's the other thing, because at least in a team of five, you've you've you maybe got hours. Two, hours, two or three hours in between. So you're getting an hour's sleep. As a pair, we're really not, not getting that time. So our strategy was for the daylight hours when we started was to do one lap each, one lap handover, one lap handover. And then over the night time, some from maybe 11 o'clock till four o'clock, do two hour stints or do two lap stints so do 10 miles each so that was what our strategy was i started off i was maybe running the um those laps in i started off running about 38 to 40 minutes for a five mile loop and emma was maybe around about 50 minutes i think so really the amount of rest you have in between each lap is very small 
and you have to come off the so you have to hand over a baton you have to walk off the course or obviously you have to you know, use the facilities you have to go back to the tent you have to think about do i need to hydrate um uh and by the time you've done all that really it's time to turn around and come back onto the course to wait for the handover because you have to hand over in a certain place on the course uh and that was quite tough i was very fortunate that um, i'm an ambassador for sos hydration and sos hydration have a they have their store set up just off the finish line so i had hydration on taps and i have to say it's one of the best products and not really a product plug but it really did help me get through that and it helped me because of the time and the changeover and everything else so that's, that's, that was great um and um as we went through the event we suddenly realized we were climbing up through the rankings and we were at about seven o'clock in the evening we were in the top five and we thought oh hang on a minute we didn't expect to be here what, what what's going on here so we thought oh uh, let, let's see if we can just keep that. And we were having a laugh, you know, and our big hugs at changeover. We really weren't taking it too seriously. We we're just enjoying ourselves. And when we did our first double lap stint at about 11 o'clock, uh, I did mine first and I, and I thought, oh gosh, I can't do that. 10 miles is just too much effort at this time of night when you're already tired um, to do to do that kind of 10 miles and Emma did hers and and while she was doing hers I thought well at least I'll get some rest and really you're not getting any rest because it's she was out for less than two hours and there's no rest there you can't sleep you've got to try and eat mm-hmm. um I have uh some, some of your, your 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 listeners will maybe identify with this that uh, you get upset stomach you get some sort of gastrointestinal issues very common with with high effort running uh, and I suffer terribly from this so my fueling was really minimal so I, I really can't fuel so i survived on sort of half a pot noodle every couple of hours and um some some um actually another brilliant product uh w- w- which is really good for for, for endurance stuff that, that i use um so we we scrapped the we scrapped the double lap after the first one i said we'll go back to one and one by i think it was two o'clock in the morning we were sitting third place so uh then the competitiveness came out Emma, like me, is competitive. So we just kept it up and we kept it up. And it was the, one of the hardest things I think we've either of us have ever done. Getting up after you've uh, at uh, sort of the really dark hours of four o'clock, three or four o'clock in the morning before the sun comes up to force yourself to even move your le- legs are like lead. You can't run. And the first kilometer is uphill. Uh, so you're trying to get that first kilometer out the way to try and get some Masters. get some Masters. momentum going, just so you can keep going. Um, and it and it was uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty brutal to be fair. And the physical side is bad enough, but the mental side, when you're that fatigued, you're that tired, that mental side is really really tough going. So you've got to find a way to get through. And I'm someone who talks to myself a lot. Um, my kids think I'm, I'm I'm weird, anyway, because of all the, my approach to mobility and how how I, I coach and train people. Um, so that would be no surprise to them that I talk to myself. But it's a I find it's a really great way of being able to push yourself through. Okay. Um, and actually, if you externally uh, say it, so if you talk to yourself out loud, then that can that can be even more powerful than just an internal dialogue. Can you reveal to us what kind of things you you, you say? Oh, why? Well, uh, I, I make it as positive as I can. Um, so I never put myself down. 
So, for example, I ran a 10 mile virtual race on Sunday, uh, two days ago, and uh, it was along the Bournemouth seafront. I chose the absolute wrong time to do it. It was very, very busy, even in these lockdown conditions. So I did a 10 mile race and a bit like you on that, that 10K, I ran it completely the wrong way around. I, I went out quite hard. I think I could, I could keep that up, but the environment wasn't really right for that. And so as I did my turnaround and came back into the last, particularly the last two miles, I found I was really digging deep. And at one point I did question to myself, you know, who is it who's, who's keeping me going? Who is it who's forcing me to be here? Why wouldn't I just slow down? And that's that negative internal dialogue that you get. Um, well, with any racing, but I find particularly comes on with hard racing, whether that's longer endurance stuff can even come on a, a, a 5k so even though there were you know hundreds of people along the Bournemouth seafront I found myself saying to myself out loud come on Chris come on Chris you can stay positive you can stay tall I tend to find talking about my running form helps me I can stay fluid I can stay um, smooth let's get hold of your breathing let's let's uh, keep your posture let's go and keep that power going through the feet come on Chris you can do it and as I got in the last mile that came out even more uh, even more and as I was weaving in and out of people, uh, trying to give as much space between them as I could, obviously, in the current climate, I was talking to myself and and, and I think people just thought I was absolute crackers. Yeah. Uh, they, they think runners are crackers anyway. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, they do indeed. <laughs> but that type of dialogue I find I find really useful. And, and, it, and in 2019, when Emma and I then repeated that, um, we, we did Endure 24 again. Uh, we... we um, I, I use the same kind of strategies and we actually achieved 70 miles each and that so we we again uh, claimed third place in 2019 and uh so, so that was uh, amazing to have that kind of double podium finish there um so 70 miles each and, and that's in about what 10 and a half 11 hours of actual running time so so, so that, that that was really good so I, I kind of realized I was, I was all right at that and I had an opportunity in July last year or a month later than doing Enduro 24 to do a 12-hour endurance event but with a different partner my friend Rebecca and that was very that was a very different event it was a much smaller event down here on on um, uh, down near Dorchester again it was a five and a half mile loop it was quite hot so it was a, a very dusty route and uh, it was only 12 hours and in that event they have a bell so you can ring the bell if you've had enough and once, once you ring the bell that's you you're out and so Rebecca and I set off of course I was still a bit tired from doing the, the Endure you know a month, a month beforehand and it was a really tough course in the sense that the terrain was really difficult to run on uh, very pitted in places the grass had big holes in it lots of uh, scree as well so it was a fairly flat course but the bits of undulation were very loose ground and again, we did the strategy of one, 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 one in terms of laps. And we found ourselves within the first few hours of actually being in first place, which was uh, something I, I've only ever experienced one before, once before in a 10K. Um, so I wanted, really wanted to hold on to that first place. So the, the determination came out and I had to try and relay that determination to Rebecca to make sure that she also wanted to hold that first place and, and luckily she, she's quite competitive um but she also got quite tired as well as we went through it and that was a, a mentally very tough event 
where we got later on the later stages of that particular event I was so determined to hold on to that first place that I would literally do anything to do that and I came in after my lap and Rebecca wasn't in a great place at that point she'd just eaten and um so she said, well, we'll have to wait. And I said, well, there's no way I'm waiting. I'm, I'm not losing a lap. So I off, off I went for my second lap. And uh, Rebecca's name was Mud for most of that lap as I came <laughs> round. <laughs> Which we had a great laugh about afterwards, of course. Um, and as I came round, then she went off and did, did her lap. And we got to, I think, a lap ahead. So we were fairly safe that that we had we had um i done that i think at that point i'd done about 32 and a half miles ish just about sort of 53k over that 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 um well half that time i guess around about there and uh, we still had half an hour to go before the 12 hours were up and we didn't know most of the other teams had pulled out everyone had rung the bell apart from one team and i didn't know where they were we knew the, the husband, it was a husband and wife team, and the husband had said he'd had enough, but we didn't know whether the wife had or not. And I wouldn't Rebe- let Rebecca ring that bell until all the time had run out. And I stood on that start-finish line, ready to drag out another lap, even though I'd lost my sense of hearing, I lost all feeling in my arms. I would have <laughs> crawled on my knees around that lap if I had to, to bring that first place in. Um <laughs> <laughs> which was which was ludicrous when I look back at it now, but we did hold on to that first place. That's but that's singly the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That's amazing, and the the, the spirit and the will to win. <laughs> I'm deaf. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna win. <laughs> amazing, amazing, love it. So tell me a little bit more because obviously you were. Back when you were 38 years old, as you were telling me before, you were working in tech. And during your transition, you've then gone on to create a business around your passion, which is running and endurance running. So tell us more about uh, Run Teach and The Confident Runner. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yes, it all happened by accident, really. Um, And it really came from me wanting to improve my own running and learning how to run more most effectively and I realized quite early on in my own running that everyone's very different so there are lots of uh, ways styles of running if you like so things like chi running and pose running and uh, a number of different uh, styles like that what I found I was quite good at which was the same in, in my tech business was taking the best of what everyone else does and bringing it in to then match the individual, which in my case was me. So I looked at all these different styles of running. I looked at things like cadence. I looked at things like barefoot running. I looked at lots of different things that were supposed to make you better. And I started to look at it in more detail. I went and looked at uh, nutrition for running because to me that was quite important because at the time I started running when I was 38, I say I was overweight. I was about 13 stone seven. not quite sure what that is in kilograms, 70 something kilograms. And uh, part of getting fit was to lose uh, lose a lot of that weight. And, you know, I learned that, that losing weight is largely down to the nutrition plan. So it's 80% nutrition as opposed to the exercise part. And that's something that I try and instill with my runners, my athletes that I, I train. And I'd say everyone to me is an athlete, whether they do uh you know an hour and a quarter for a 10k or whether they're doing you know sub 
you know, 20 minutes for a 5K. Uh, everyone's an athlete to me. And so I, I believe everyone should treat themselves like an athlete, which is which is kind of how I how I approach my own running in those early years. And so from that, I started to share my um, my experience with other people. And that kind of got me to doing some informal coaching. And then I looked at how I could then formalize that coaching. And I, I had previously joined Bournemouth AC, running for them competitively, just as part of an all running group. And they were a, quite a competitive running group. Uh, and they asked me if I wanted to go on to do a leadership in running fitness because we had coaches and assistant coaches on the track side of the club, but we didn't have anybody on the on the running on the road side of the club. Um, they had some incredibly fast runners, and I think that's probably why. Uh, but as they brought on more recreational runners, they needed some some more leadership in there. So I did that, and that then led me on to do my coaching. So that was in 2015, and that allowed me then to coach more people. And I got involved in a, a local running group here called uh, Verwood Runners, and um, uh, went on to the core team there. And then that started me thinking about setting up uh, as a business. I then got my coaching qualification in 2018 and got biomechanics qualifications, nutritional qualifications. Um, movement always fascinated me. And so I went and got movement qualifications um, in terms of uh, functional movement and how we can find better mobility in how we how we approach running. For me, um, I have a set process that uh, is, I found works very well with people. So that's started me to set uh, Run Teach up back in, well, it was set up in, in early 2018. And I wanted to do running assessments for ordinary recreational runners to help them identify the areas where they could improve. And I also wanted to launch an education side of the business because for me, education is very important. I believe that if you have an understanding and a background and appreciation for how you can improve anything in your life, then you're far better. Uh, your chances are far better at being able to succeed in that improvement rather than just following a step by step guide without having any background. And that's because I think all of us are individual. And so you can't apply a generic process to, to yourself without getting your own feedback. You have to be very in touch with your own feedback and that feedback loop, loop is incredibly important so when i coach anybody in anything the one thing i want to give them is the tools of being able to have your own feedback and listening to that feedback so that you can adapt what you're what you're teaching because i don't believe anybody has the single answer to anything so i i started to run workshops that uh so first workshop was in november 2018 and it was such a success and it was mainly the people from the local running community uh, that I then launched another one in early 2019, in January or February. And then I ran several a year uh, throughout 2018, 2019. And then unfortunately, uh, I did manage to get one in in 2020. And then uh, unfortunately, the, the pandemic hit and, and all of that has stopped. All of that side of it has stopped, which, which is a real shame. So from Run Teach really what I wanted to create was an education company that gave people the tools so they weren't reliant on a coach or um, an internet guru or, or a whole bunch of information they had to put together themselves. Because if you can if you can listen to yourselves and adapt, then I think you can really take your running wherever you want it to, want it to go.
uh, and that's exactly what I did. I, I was no nobody special, but uh, over that time of running, I lost uh, oh well over three and a half stone. Um, I improved the quality of my life no end. Uh, I now run with my my kids. My my twins are now ten years old. One's an endurance runner who currently does five k in shade over twenty one minutes. Uh, the other one's a sprinter uh, who's also got quite an impressive five uh, k time of just over 22 minutes so that they're um they love running and they're really good footballers they, they, they operate at quite a high level in terms of football they both play for uh, afc bournemouth on the, the under 11s girls squad and it's been a joy for me to, to take my fitness to a point where i can then inspire them to have that as a major component in their life because i think that'll serve them well as they get older um and i think old, you know any of the older parents who, who are your listeners, Mike, you know, should take a lot of inspiration, you know, from from seeing the people who are older. Because I think people coming into running, in particular, are coming in at older as older athletes. And and you know the 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 um, the world is our oyster in that respect. I remember going to an event once, and a chap in his sixties said to me, "Oh yeah, when you when you start running as an older athlete, you peak ten years after you start running. So don't give up just because the first couple of years might be hard." You know, you've, you've got there's a, there's a great curve you've got to go through there. And when you reach that curve, you know, you, you, you could be anywhere on that. And that's really what my business is, is all about. Um, so I, I do very in-depth running assessments. So whereas you might go to a shoe shop and get a gait analysis uh, and um, that can be great. That can be great for helping you to, to choose a pair of shoes for how you run at that time. What I do is uh, um, as part of my, my, my running assessment is I do take a couple of hours. Um, which might not surprise you the month I talk, but uh, I look at how people move as an individual and then I help them and, um, and review the videos, saw videos, and we go through and they come out of that to our assessment with a plan, a set of exercises according to that plan, but more importantly, they've seen how they run and they can then have three at most four things they can concentrate on that will really help their running to take them to 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 the next stage in, in their in their running goals, and, that, and that's really the kind of backbone of what Run Teach is all about. And my process process, if you like, is to get fluidity of movement. You then learn the skills, and those are what gives you your long term results. And in terms of of, of how that looks in reality, you get the skill, you build endurance into that skill, uh, and then you build strength onto that skill. Because if you can't move properly, then all the the stuff you try and do in terms of your running form, um, whatever it might be, whether you're trying to you know, get a higher heel lift, whether you're trying to uh, just do running drills like getting uh, high knees, but you're finding it difficult to do that. If you always find you're going back to being a ploddy type of running style that you might have, rather than being nice and smooth and fluid, it's probably because you haven't done the foundation stuff first. So... When I really looked at that this year, being sort of forced into a lockdown situation, I really revisited what I was doing and how I could help runners, particularly in the recreational category and particularly the older runners, sort of 35 years plus. Because um, as we get older, we, we move less generally and we sit down more. And then we sit down all day, then we expect to get up and go on and do a run and our body just to let us do that. And, and kind of doesn't really work like that. So I looked at uh, how I could approach things from a neurological perspective. So I started to really look at the brain's involvement with how it affects everything we do. 
And so out of that uh, is born The Confident Runner, so theconfidentrunner.com. And that's really my targeted, focused uh, way of helping people, uh, particularly recreational runners on that 35 years plus category, right up to, well, it doesn't really matter what age, um, you know, really up, up, up to 70, 80 years, years old, I've got people who, who I help. So, you know, if you approach it right, then you can release the things that are stopping you from moving properly, you'll find that your running form tweaks will stick and it'll stay around for a long time. Um, and that led me on to then uh, uh, writing a guide to help change that mindset, to go away from, oh, it's all got to be physical, to actually, if we approach it from a brain first perspective, then we can give ourselves a much better chance at achieving what we want to achieve. Uh, and on the website, there's a there's a, a guide there that, that talks about mindset, and that leads into a 14-day challenge where you can actually put some of this stuff into practice. And it's a 14-day mobility challenge, and it's looking at how we can um, improve our mobility. So you can improve your mobility without spending hours and hours stretching. And that's not to say stretching is bad, because stretching, like any tool, is neither good nor bad. It is what it is, and it has... Um, appropriateness where it's helpful and sometimes it isn't helpful but we can make it much more effective as a tool by first understanding why certain things happen um, and I've got a, 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 a course coming out quite soon that is going to be talking about stretching and how you can change that mindset and how you can approach that in a, a better way and that 14-day challenge is a bit of a lead into that so you can put it into practice and for some people when I do this sort of neurology work with the mobility they can have a, a mobility release where they suddenly find they can access a range of motion in seconds where it would take them normally weeks and weeks and weeks of focused practice to be able to achieve that. They can now do this in seconds. And that's not to say it hangs about. Sometimes it hangs about for an hour or two. Sometimes it hangs about for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's a long-term change. But certainly by doing focused practice on it for a, a period of time, we can actually open up our usable range of motion. So it's not necessarily saying, oh, I have to get longer muscles to give me a, a wider range of motion. It's about how can I use what I have? Because most of us aren't using what we already have. We think we need to uh, get a bigger range of motion, but actually what we need to do is get better at using the range of motion we have. So becoming ninja movers, if you like, mm -hmm. so that we, we become really good and smooth and accurate. And that allows us then to, well, it, I, I can't really explain it. It, it allows you to um, just be very smooth in your movements. Everything else just feels amazing. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and, and all of that people can, um, can, can take from online, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if they go to uh, theconfidentrunner.com, and on there I've got my Run Strong Guide. So it's a free guide that you, you can uh, go through. And from there, that'll lead you into a 14-day challenge. You can get the challenge directly from, from the menus as well. And yeah, you can experience it for yourself. So the Run Strong Guide is great because it helps you to understand that mindset change is moving away from um, everything needing to be a struggle to actually there is a way that we can address this where you can just open up everything. You can work with the way your brain wants to work. It's all about brain safety. Mm -hmm. Our brain... Um, response to threats so if you think your brain controls everything you are your brain everything you do so if you have muscle stiffness if you have muscle tightness if you fatigue during running if you feel that you are not performing 
as well as you can do, chances are there's something that's creating a, a threat in your brain. So for example, a very example would be um, balance. So if you've not got great balance, and then we're talking about dynamic balance, so not necessarily just standing on one leg for 30 seconds, how's your balance when you're running? So if you were to jump from one spot forward on one foot, when you land, are you able to keep your balance? That's one part of the balance. There's other things like moving your head. If your balance isn't great, then your brain is going to see that as a threat. So if you're trying to run fast or you're trying to run for a long time, then your brain at some point will see that as being unsafe because you're not stable. So it will introduce things like fatigue. It will introduce perhaps other mechanisms that are going to slow you down or to change your behavior because your brain's number one job is to keep you safe. It's survival. So what you have to do then is to be able to achieve your goal, whether that's running faster, whether that's running longer, or just to enjoy your running without it being so much effort, is to find a way to help your brain feel safe. And that's to approach it in a way where you are improving things like your dynamic balance, improving things like your vision. So peripheral vision, for example, can have a huge effect. And particularly in this time of year where it's getting darker earlier, you're running with a head torch, um, when you take vision out of it, you're relying on some of your other senses, so such as the, the um, proprioceptor, that feeling sense, that motion sense. So improving these areas helps your brain feel much safer so you can achieve your goals far easier with far less effort. You stop fighting against it. Um, and I find a lot of runners can achieve their running goals by just adding strength. So they do lots and lots of strength work. And that is great. And that works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it can be quite quite a big effect coming from that. There's only so far you can take take the muscles, really, isn't there? Especially if you're not like an Olympian, there's only you know, and you've got a day job. There's only so far you can take your muscles, I guess. There is, and and, and you know, you certainly can get very strong. Um, but in my experience, a lot of recreational runners don't really like going to the gym anyway, so it tends to be short lived. So they might go through a period of time where they build up strength. But um, so they can, if you like, muscle their way through their running. But this, as soon as they stop doing that, um, and particularly at this time where, you know, we're in periods of lockdown and going forwards, when people can go back to the gym, the environment, I think for, 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 for a while, at least a year, maybe even two years is going to be different. Uh, we need to find different ways of doing that. And if we look at just strength work, uh, typically anyway, when you go start doing any strength work, those first few weeks uh, is not necessarily muscles getting larger, physically getting larger, added, added fibers. You're actually just using more of what you already have. So you're working with your nervous system and your brain to release or activate more of those muscle fibers. So really we can, we can use those, that same process by activating more by doing the right movements and the right strength work so that, so that we can um, add more fluidity there, add more accuracy of movement there to get that brain safety. So you don't actually have to spend all that time in the gym. But when you do do that strength work, it's really targeting and using the right muscles for the right movements. Absolutely fascinating stuff, Chris. And it's such an amazing journey to go from where you were at age 38 through all of that hell on your endurance races now to be to be working and doing this as a as a business and i think it's fascinating and uh, i think just on coming up 40 odd minutes we'll we'll have to wrap up there and uh, i'd just like to say thank you again and just remind me so you're runteach.com and theconfidentrunner.com is that right 
That's right. Yeah. So runteach.com and on there people will find uh, all my Facebook live sessions that I did during the during the lockdown in March if they want to have a go at some of the mobility stuff there um, and all the blog posts and the confidentrunner.com where they'll find uh, the Run Strong Guide and the 14 day challenge. And that's where I'll be putting out some of my new products to, to really help um, the runners get the most out of their running. Excellent. Just like to say thank you very much for, for taking some time out to, to join me. And I'm absolutely positive that someone somewhere is going to get some real value out of this uh, conversation. So thanks. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you very much, Mike. You're listening to Smashing 50, the health, fitness and personal development podcast for middle-aged men. 